Welcome to episode 8 of the 18th Shadow Radio. This is your author and narrator, John Lee Grafton. The 18th Shadow, Phase 1, Dawn of the Courtesan. Chapter 1.8, You Just Met the Boss. Lawrence, Kansas, May 2078, four years, five months before event. She was just another University of Kansas girl seated despondently on the dry side of a rain-slicked coffee shop window. Just another blonde Betty watching the world of downtown Lawrence go past, wondering what certainties, if any, the future might hold. The botany workforce was saturated, the rent was late, and a mountain of student loan debt loomed over an otherwise flat horizon. She considered herself lucky to get a spot at the narrow metal hollow bar facing the Hove Street, though the crowds had thinned in the hours since mid-morning and there were now open stools to either side of her. There's a reason the coffee shop was so popular. The rowdy pony had the strongest jolly balls in the state. Top of the farm, as the kids like to say. It was her favorite place to come put on a buzz and get some creative headspace. The shop was a fixture on 8th Avenue, situated around the corner from the Massachusetts Street Walking Mall. Its tall glass storefront windows faced the whitewashed stone and red brick exterior of the ancient First National Bank building. The bank building was long since converted to an upscale restaurant, but per local zoning regs, the owners had kept the facade traditional. With half-dome windows and high decorative cornice molds intact, it still looked like an antique bank. All the buildings in downtown Lawrence were antiques, literally built in other centuries, so as to give that section of the city the appearance of an old-time holoflix set, if one only took a passing glance. She had often had the same reverie while getting blended in the pony, that of being a wallflower seated in a choice balcony high above the stage of life circa 1899. If she couldn't get a seat at the hollow bar and watch the show, what was the point? She would take her java and float. Today, however, the open stool had proved one of few fortunes. For hours the rain fell gray as her mood, yet downtown was alive with typical Saturday afternoon activity. Snapping from her daydream and the time it took to return a ping, she was reminded that it was, in fact, not 1899. She was just another blonde Betty living through another late May 21st century afternoon. A citizen observation drone buzzed around the corner, floating a standard six-meter elevation over the sidewalk. The small, gray drone was the size of a rugby football. She watched it pause momentarily, wallowing in its antigrav field above a kid in a hoodie with a silver hoveboard strapped to his back. A green LED at its base illuminated and the drone continued on, moving seamlessly away west towards the crowded walking mall. Couples strolled past the coffee shop window, hand in hand, some leading Fidos of various breeds and sizes. Both humans and Batborgs looked so happy. A stubby Hub Street vendor in a red-striped hat did a brisk trade, selling grilled tofu and petri chicken heroes beneath her yellow hovecart umbrella on the nearest corner. Everywhere, people chatted into their combuds. From inside, if one didn't know better, it looked like those using a combud had gone batshit and were just chatting with the wind. A pair of Asian businesswomen directly in front of the coffee shop glass talked especially briskly in Mandarin. They were hiding under the rowdy pony's green awning to escape the day's drizzle. The girl imagined their lives, clicking happily away, negotiating easy, lucrative transactions with high-profile clients in Kuala Lumpur or Berlin. I should have majored in comsci. Employment on the mind. 
This one blonde Betty in a million returned her focus to the projection of the Journal World news floating above the glass-top bar between her and the rain outside. She took another drag off her cheap, disposable vapor joint, blowing streams of smoky water mist out of her nostrils. The synth-diamond tip of the joint glowed blue each time she took a puff. I doubt the one ads have refreshed any new business prospects in the last three minutes, Dorothy. Her gaze again found the Asian business ladies. The women had lightly bronze, perfect skin to complement their perfect features and were both smartly dressed in purple pinstripe suits and prim jackets, causing the girl to look down mournfully at her sagging blue hemp overalls and ratty chuck tees. Her tomboy blonde locks were tied in a messy bun. She was not the sort of Betty to make time during a busy semester to tan up for summer with a carotenoid injection from the nurse's station. Like I have the digis for a tan anyway. Or perfect features. In the more idle, vain days of her youth, she had often wanted to correct the slight bump along the bridge of her nose. It would have been easy to get a new nose if she had the skrill, 9,000 digis, one hour of outpatient nanobot surgery at the Hove Street 31 shopping mall. But then she'd be... One of those people. No way, no how. Best to live with the gene map the sky gave you. In this self-serving, depressed state, the last thing this Betty desired was unwanted advances from men. Compared to the garrulous rodeo of humping and monthly full-moon visits to the Planned Parenthood kiosk at the student union that defined her roommate's sex life, the girl was practically a nun. She giggled for the first time that day and took another long, satisfying drag off her vapor joint. Which is why, like a nun, I haven't had sex for nine months. She again giggled and said to her reflection in the rainy window, Oh, Ingrid, you little Indian tramp. The voice from behind surprised her. The words were so equable, yet clearly phrased that she nearly jumped off her stool as the man spoke. In all fairness, your colleague Ingrid Duta is... A psychology major. Could you expect anything more of one seeking such a plebeian degree? Now, botanical genetics, that is a truly admirable field of consideration, wouldn't you say? She turned and blinked. Another ping me troll? Where did this dude come from? Not through the front door. I've been sitting right here. She tried to shake off her mid-afternoon java ball buzz. Never before had she laid eyes upon such a well-dressed man. He wasn't tall, but he wasn't short. He wasn't terribly muscular, clearly not fat, nor androgynously thin like so many of the college boys. Her scientific mind immediately came to the conclusion that from a standpoint of morphology, he was precisely average, though absolutely unique. Was he young? Dog, I'm blended. The man's age was tough to determine, but if she had to guess, she would have placed him in his early thirties. He wore polished, but not offensively shiny, black dress shoes and a slim-fit, two-button Marconi suit made of immaculately combed hemp linen. The suit was sharkskin taupe, with barely visible pewter pinstripes. She noted how perfectly it accented his piercing amber eyes and Titian brown hair cut into a classical, sideswept style reminiscent of the simpler times. He was clean-shaven. His features were sharp, strong, and he smelled like... nothing if the smell of nothing could hold an incomprehensible allure. In the man's breast pocket was a folded, earth-browned handkerchief, and with both hands he held before him a crisp, black fedora. It was the presumptuous smile that made her uncomfortable. She regained her composure and looked at him square, doing her best put-off. Mister, if I had a digi for every fellow who looked up Ingrid's profile on Ping Me, I'd be queen. So yes, she's my roommate, and no, I'm not going to scan you her IPv7. 
okay? Have a good day. She waited for the usual acquiescence, or at least an up-and-down glance reviewing her cup size before fleeing away like a squirrel. But this man was no squirrel. His eyes never left hers, not even a second attempt to bring up Ingrid. In fact, the man bowed his head politely and took a single step backwards out of her personal space. His voice was beyond eloquent. My apologies, ma'am. Spoken with a pleasant, melded accent of old British and perhaps Jamaican patois, very different from the Kansas drawl she was used to. He continued, Please, however, rest assured, I have less than zero interest in your roommate, nor do I wish to engage you in discourse for purposes associated with romance. I was simply attempting to be humorous, a social skill not so forthcoming in my particular case, I'm afraid. She liked him immediately, but not like that. He reminded her of the big brother she had wanted but never had. Damn. It was his large, captivating yellow eyes. She had never met anyone like this man in her life. Something about him still made her nervous. Well, no worries then. We'll call it good. See ya, pal. She turned back to the want ads, projecting their viewer-customized neon messages above the holobar. Five seconds passed. Still there. The man's presence irritatingly uncomfortable and humorously pleasant. Five more seconds passed. Ten more. She spun back round. This time his smile consumed her. Yes? She managed, feeling instantly high. The man nodded eloquently in her direction. I see you're a woman of practical merits, Miss Nichols, a character attribute I find most compelling. Allow me to reiterate, my reasons for engaging you in conversation are not those with which you are apparently accustomed. Rather, assuming you have an interest in employment in the field of agricultural science, I'm here to offer you a job. He blinked his amber eyes and tilted his head inquisitively, gesturing towards the empty stool beside her. May I? She hesitated, gazing at him dubiously, then shrugged. It's a free country. The gentleman set his fedora on the glass holobar and asked with a deaf grin. Is it? Might I buy you another round? Something a little stronger, one-thread java ball, perhaps? She smirked. Thanks, but no. If I have another java, my heart's gonna explode. Ah, I see. Please him, then. Never touch the stuff. Good for you. Very well. The handsome man turned and gestured to the tough-as-balls barista named Maggie who owned the rowdy pony. Maggie was notorious for providing slow, angst-driven service to men. He called across the bar. Margaret, darling, would you be so kind as to bring me a café au lait, soy, with a hint of organic brown sugar and a cappuccino cup? Kindly remember to use the Ethiopian beans. The girl laughed to herself. This should be good. Such a line directed at Maggie would normally elicit a curt, Why don't you drop the one knee and suck it, dicko? Instead, the blonde girl watched in awe as Maggie's normally dour expression convened to a smile and she responded pleasantly. Coming right up, Mr. Abner. The man nodded congenially as if they were old friends. So kind, Margaret. He then unbuttoned his freshly pressed blazer and sat himself on the stool one over, again consuming the girl's attention with his wolf-like yellow eyes. For a moment, she felt like she might pass out. His demeanor was still charming, but the purpose behind his voice was more direct. Miss Nichols, would you afford me the pleasure of a formal introduction? He extended his hand. Common courtesy was no longer common. She raised her eyebrows. Say again? The man continued without a hitch. My name is Doxon Julius Abner. 
I'm the proprietor of Abner Family Pumpkin and Gourd. Given the fact that you are obviously a woman who likes to get down to brass tacks, I would prefer to introduce myself before we carry on to speaking of business. Oh, yes, of course. She reached out and took his hand. The grip was firm, yet his skin soft like a woman's. She found herself so curious she couldn't stand it. I'm sorry. I'm Dorothy. Dorothy Nichols. But you seem to know that. Indeed, I do. Your name is Dorothy Marie Nichols. You were born April 22nd, 2057, to farmers Leonard and Margell Nichols of Salina, Kansas. You're a Taurus. Surprisingly, you don't know how to operate a hub car with a manual transmission. Your parents farm outstanding medium-strength marijuana and raise you to respect the right of individual privacy, a political philosophy endemic to the classical traditionalist mindset, and a cornerstone value of the new Episcopal Church of practical agnosticism in which you were raised. You began official employment at Nichols Indica Incorporated at the age of 12. You genetically engineered your first strain of marijuana at the age of 13, even though, per your father's wishes, you didn't try your first vapor joint until you were 14. The strain of marijuana you engineered, dubbed Dottie's Surprise, continues to be your family's number one seller to this day. At age 18, you enrolled in the expected field of agrobotany, and in precisely four years, you have now graduated at the top of your class with a 3.87 GPA. Despite all this, you are having difficulty securing proper employment, a situation that I consider to be a tragedy and no uncertain. The blonde Betty named Dorothy Nichols was now sitting bolt upright. She raised her hands defensively. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, whoa, Mr. Abner. Please, call me Dax. Fine. She squinted apprehensively. All right, Mr. Dax, this is Creep City. How exactly do you know all this? Before he could answer, Maggie walked over with his café au lait, exactly as requested, complete with a hemp linen napkin and a pleasant smile. Here you go, Miss Dabna, fresh Ethiopian, as prescribed. Maggie blushed. I must say, it's so great to see you. You ought to drop by for a speedball more often. The man named Dax reached out and held Maggie's hand in his own after she set down his coffee. Ah, Margaret, your smile is always radiant like a million suns in a single sky. Maggie tittered like a little girl. The gentleman, for there was no other word to properly describe him, continued. You'll have to forgive my absence from the pony of late. I fear employer of farm and flock has held my hours in a gilded cage. His tone brightened. Have you had the pleasure of meeting Dorothy? Maggie turned to Dorothy and bumped her fist. Yeah, see this Betty around time to time? How you doing, hot stuff? She winked and, without waiting for a reply, turned and carried on with the man like they were the only two people in the shop. I understand, Mr. Abner. I know you're busy. But you know it's always my pleasure. Hit me up if there's anything else I can get you, okay? She shot Dorothy a furtive glance over her shoulder as she strutted off. Nice meeting you, hot stuff. Officially, that is. Dorothy watched in disbelief as Maggie resumed her usual position behind the barista bar. A young, hip, artsy sort with tattoos on his neck, dressed in black ankle-biter hemp jeans, had been waiting for service. The boy wore an exasperated expression and drummed his fingers impatiently on the counter. Maggie's face resumed its usual snarl. What the hell do you want, Rembrandt? When the boy didn't respond, she barked. Well, what's it going to be? You here for a cup of java, J-ball, E-joint, blueberry muffin? Or are you just going to stand there looking like a bitch with a stylus behind your ear? Dorothy turned back to Dax Abner, eyes wide. How in the world did you get Maggie to smile? I've never seen her smile, let alone bring someone a coffee personally. I've been coming here for four years. 
Dax Abner smiled graciously. Well, to be fair, I do own the pony. Margaret is a misunderstood figure. She is also, beyond the shadow of a doubt, the best ganja barista in the Metroplex. You own the rowdy pony? She asked doubtfully. How come I've never seen you here before? He looked away slyly. Ah, Miss Nichols, so many questions. Well, excuse me if I'm slightly curious about how you seem to know everything about everyone. His smile was infectious. Fair enough. Well, I haven't actually been in the establishment during business hours in nearly two years. He looked around as if seeing the place for the first time. It's quite a lovely environment during the day, wouldn't you say? It's just beautiful the way the natural light comes through the windows, across this dreadful rain. Dorothy shook her head. She extracted her cheap, disposable e-joint from her overalls to give her hands something to do. She took a long, deep drag. If this really is a job interview, apologies. But I'm not sure if I can get high enough at the moment. Do whatever feels natural, Dax Abner shrugged. It is the weekend, after all. She put the vapor joint down and knitted her forehead. Okay, fine. So you own the rowdy pony. Now can you please tell me how you know all that stuff about my life? Public records, plus the application of a few logical assumptions. She shook her head. No way. My parents' religious affiliation, or lack thereof, wouldn't be in public records. I finished my last phytochem final yesterday morning at 11. Marks don't push for a week. So how would you possibly know that I'm graduating with a 387? Even if I probably am, she quipped, not attempting to conceal her pride. Dax Abner didn't speak immediately. This made her even more curious. He reached to his inside jacket pocket and withdrew a tarnished sterling silver cigarette box, engraved on its face with an intricate Rhodesian tribal pattern. The back of the box was smooth and unembossed, save the words, Ready, I, Ready, Company, HCMS, Iroquois. He flipped open the silver container with a brisk, metallic snap and withdrew a 100-length matte black vapor joint. Dorothy's eyes lit up. Is that a Rodeo Drive 2075? Dax cocked his head at her knowingly. Not surprisingly, you know your ganja. It most certainly is. Those things are like a thousand digis a stick, right? Synthesized from the sativa garden on ISS-3? Dax chuckled as he took a drag off the vapor joint, its fine emerald tip glowing pleasantly. Ah, humanity's constant obsession with urban mythology never fails to amuse. He exhaled the pure water vapor and the electronic diode faded back to a gray ashen color. Believe it or not, they are not growing marijuana on any of the space stations save the one orbiting Mars. You should thus clarify, to whomever you wish, that the liquid THC in this E-joint is exclusively synthesized from an international space station strain. The plants specifically are cultivated at Garden 1227 in New L.A. at the intersection of South Rodeo and Beverwill. Care for hit? Dorothy smiled and shook her head, enjoying the man's matter-of-fact manner. No way, she said with a smile. I'm Irie. Is this really a job interview? Sir, she added as an afterthought, which made her again think awkwardly of having a big brother. Dax took a second pull off the Rodeo E-joint and returned the case to his pocket. First of all, Miss Nichols, there's rare a need to call me sir, unless that's what you prefer. Secondly, the degree to which consciousness is altered by consuming marijuana is more a reflection of an individual's psychological stability than anything else. For me, it's a matter of social courtesy. She waded through the silence in anticipation, getting nervous again. 
Dorothy wished the man wasn't so flawlessly handsome and well-dressed. She felt like a toad. Very well, he said, holding her eyes with his own once more. Getting down to brass tacks, as it were. How would you like a full-time position at Abner Family Pumpkin and Gourd? Your primary task will be encoding synthetic plant genomes. She could not hide her hesitation. Well, I don't, he interrupted before she could think further. This will be a two-year contract with benefits. I will pay off 100% of your student loans and provide an annual starting salary of 750000 digidollars, paid in advance, annually. Dorothy squinted and put her hand up, unable to ignore her natural pessimism. Let me get this straight. You're going to pay me 750000 D-Bucks for an entry-level gene-splicing job with pumpkins. You know my student loans are almost a mill. Dax Abner's yellow gaze calmed her in a way no human's eyes ever had. She swayed on her stool at the silken sound of his voice, saying, That is correct. She shrugged. Well, it all just sounds too good to... His eyes captivated, assuaging all her usual anxieties, holding her with his pupils as he spoke more softly. Now is when you decide, Miss Nichols. I won't come around twice. I certainly do not accept outside applications. You'll be practicing genetic botany in a state-of-the-art laboratory. It is a one-time offer. And the next thing you are going to say is yes or no. Do you want the job or not? Dorothy gave up and let herself drift into the tigery pools of his gaze, the warmth of his expression, the heat of his presence. There was something about him that made her acquiesce, when normally she would have been running for the door. She said, Yes, okay, yes, but I still... She shrugged with confusion. I mean, I, I don't know what to say. A quiet klaxon emanated from somewhere in his suit. He took a last prim sip of coffee and stood abruptly, pushing the stool away smoothly with a polished heel. Mr. Dax Abner extended his hand. Sometimes, silence is the best option, Dorothy. Do you mind if I call you Dorothy? She felt her cheeks flush uncontrollably. No, sir. Very well, then. Consider yourself hired. Now, kindly forgive, but urgent matters await my attention. Today is Saturday. I will see you Monday. 8 a.m., then. Dorothy made a conscious effort to contain her bewilderment, trying not to smile too abusingly. My mom is going to freak. She finally let herself gush. Yes, I mean... Absolutely, I get that. Thank you. Where exactly am I going and what did... His raised hand was accompanied by that ever-congenial smile. The answers to all your questions were transmitted to your combat at the beginning of our conversation. It has been more than my pleasure. With that, he nodded, flipped the fedora back onto his head with precision, and carried his empty coffee cup, saucer, and still-folded napkin to Maggie at the bar. Maggie turned to greet him expectantly, with the same genuine smiles before lighting up her nappy visage. The expression made Maggie look almost like a cheerleader. You know you don't have to do that, Mr. Abner, she said, taking the cup and saucer. Dax Abner directed his gaze to a handwritten chalkboard hanging on the brick wall behind her. The sign does say, bust your own dishes. So until next time, Margaret, keep that sunshine coming he said with a wink, then turned and walked imperiously out the door, turning up the collar of his jacket to mind the rain and vanished like a ghost into the sidewalk crowds. 
She hoped her mouth wasn't hanging too far open with disbelief as she watched him go. A few minutes earlier, Dorothea Nichols had just been another blonde Betty sipping sullen J-balls at the rowdy pony. Now she felt like she was floating. Her combud chimed behind her inner ear. She pulled her holotab from her overalls. Indeed, the message LED was blinking steadily. Abner family, pumpkin and gourd, 1.06 p.m. Dorothy looked up at Maggie, a barista for whom she suddenly had a whole new appreciation. She hoped her expression of bewilderment might induce the short, curly-haired woman to provide some hint of explanation as to what had just happened. Maggie simply shrugged. Trust me, hot stuff. The fewer questions you got, the easier it goes. Best to float with it. And by the way, congratulations, she winked. You just met the boss. Fragmented Remains from the Cloud Diary of Doxon Julius Abner April 6, 2076, 8.08 a.m. Six years, six months, before event. Feel as though I'm being tortured. We're going to need more power, a good deal more. The dolphin is a rascal. I've augmented the wind turbine with a standard AG solar array. But we still overdraw from the federal grid. Solution, gravitemporal fusion reactor. The dolphin, who is now requesting to be addressed as Joan after some antique heroine regarded by the French, is able to stream sync through the integrated barn antenna. She can blind, control, redirect any drone within two kilometers. She is also able to insert mimicry data into a drone's GovCloud interface. She draws down the solar bats in 30 minutes, however, so I can only have her bridged with the mainframe selectively. Cyborgs are needed to escort the shipments of vodka. I've been going personally. I've only had to allure one Kansas state trooper thus far. It was easy enough. Hugo and I left the kind gent sleeping beside his patrol hub car on the side of the interstate. Goran is only able to cook up enough product to fill the trunk of a Lincoln anyhow. One trunk full of liquor a week. I've decided on pumpkins, gourds. The fields this spring are now occupied by a pair of labor bots doing the planting. It all appears very normal. The Jane Bev and coffee shop is purchased, running. It is generating a few digit dollars. The rowdy pony, it is called. The collegiate crowd seems to like that. Impassable tactile holographic camouflage protects interior and exterior stairs to the speakeasy beneath. The speakeasy I've dubbed the Green Lady Lounge. More digidollars are made by the speakeasy from a hovcar trunk full of vodka in a single weekend than I shall make selling pumpkins and coffee for the year. Goran has constructed the most elegant of permanent stills, towering brass fractionating columns with power-hungry electric boilers, soon on stream. Did I mention cyborgs? I'm, I'm exhausted. Too little sleep these past two months. Cyborgs shall win the day. Being fusion-powered themselves, they function as infinite range extenders for the industry. Once I have fusion in the barn, that is. The Israeli is bringing me five dogs units tomorrow. Four new sieve units and a refurbished mill model. The dolphin assures me she can control them. Fusion is the key. After tomorrow, there will be no... Unscheduled hardware destruct. Data compromised. Initiate backup.exe for reintegration. Format loss. 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 This concludes Chapter 1.8 of The Eighteenth Shadow, Phase 1, Dawn of the Courtesan.
please visit johnleegraftonbooks.com to sign up for the 18th Shadow mailing list. On johnleegraftonbooks.com, you can also download the free digital box set containing the first three books in the six-part series. The free box set is available in Kindle format as well as Smashwords, Kobo, and Barnes & Noble Nook. Remember, citizens, Kindle isn't just a thing. It's a free app you can put on your phone to start reading the 18th Shadow box set today. Prefer a paperback like it's 1981? Visit Prospero's Books at 1800 West 39th Street in Kansas City, Missouri, where every phase of the 18th Shadow is available built of glue, ink, and compressed dead trees, the way books were meant to be read by real North Americans. Until next time, this is your author and narrator, John Lee Grafton, reminding you to spay and neuter your pets. And remember, if it's not cannabis, kids, don't smoke it. This has been a public service announcement of the 18th Shadow Radio. For more information, please visit johnleegraftonbooks.com. <laughs>